0: I admit it, I don't give flowers to Erin as often as I ought to. Um, She likes orange roses, which is very strange. Most people like red or white. She has a particular affection for the color orange. Um, God be praised. And I've taken advantage of that. Flowers are cool. Flowers are interesting. You can do a lot with flowers. Uh, it's the go-to for the uh, inattentive bad husband like myself because it can say so much, right? Uh, a flower can, Flowers can say, good job, congratulations. They can say, thank you. Flowers can say, get better. Flowers can say, I love you. Flowers can say, I don't deserve you. They're an important part of our relationship. Imagine, if you will, the young, geeky, 17-year-old in high school who has few friends, few allies. And imagine the flower he carries as he steps up to the house of the soon-to-be homecoming queen and knocks on the door, unbelieving that she said yes to him. At the prom. Think of the corsage that he purchased for her. This flower says, you're up here. And there's no way I deserve to be dancing with you tonight. And there are no words I can say, although I'll try, to let you know what this means to me. How valuable you are to me how much I want to be with you. And so I'm giving you this flower to let you know who you are. And that young 17-year-old marries her right after high school or college and goes on to a fantastic career. And 10 or 15 years down the line, he's in his mid-30s. And the flowers are petering out a little bit. The flowers are an afterthought. The flowers come on Valentine's Day, the anniversary, but that's about it. What happens to their relationship when he's too tired or distracted or insecure or even worse and perhaps most dangerously, too entitled, too dismissive of this homecoming queen? So he forgets to bring her flowers. And don't mistake it. It's not just flowers. Flowers are just a, a trope, a, an idea that we use. It, it sort of symbolizes but it could be anything. In, in your relationships, it could be as simple as a text message for the younger folks, a handwritten letter for you less older folks. I got, you guys do email and Facebook better than we do now, from what I understand. It could be anything, anything that you do that says those things. Congratulations, get well, you're doing amazing, I value you. I'm sorry, I don't deserve you. Don't forget the flowers. In today's parable, Jesus tells us about two kinds of people. Those who forget to bring God flowers. And those who don't. If you have your note sheets, please stand as we read the text together. You'll notice in several places I've, I've done some brackets. I'll highlight those because I've, I've made some translational decisions uh, to help really get at the heart of this text about flowers. Also, Jesus spoke this parable to some who trusted him th- in themselves that they were right with God and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee. Bad guy. The other, a tax collector. Good guy. (laughs) The Pharisee stood alone and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Crooks, worldly, adulterers, or even like this tax collector here. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of everything I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, outside the crowds, by himself alone, unseen, Would not so much raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, make atonement for me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you, when this tax collector went down to his house, God had made their relationship right rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. You may be seated. It's a fascinating text. Uh the inclusion uh when when uh, when Jesus says two men went up to the temple, that signifies for those listening that he's talking about a specific service or or set of services that happened at the temple every day of the week. It's called the Tamid service. It's uh tamid literally means always or continually in, in, in uh Hebrew and then Aramaic. And it, it, so it means an everyday service. It's always happening. And every day in the temple, every day of the week, there would be two sets of tamid services, and both would culminate in the sacrifice of a young lamb, spotless, 1-year-old. And so when it says that they went up to the temple to pray, they were going up to participate in this prayer service. That will culminate with a sacrifice. This sacrifice was paid for by the temple tax. Many people in Israel could not afford to buy their own animals for sacrifice. And so this was the time, the one time that they could go and be sure that a sacrifice was made that would cover them, that would apply to them. A little bit like public school. Everyone here pays for public school. And everyone here is eligible to go to public school. And for those who have a bit more or who make different types of sacrifices, you can send your children to a different school. You can have more sacrifices, as it were. But everybody gets the basic right to education. In Israel, everyone gets the basic right to sacrifice. Now, when the the people would come, they would come into the temple, and this was really only for for Jewish people, the, the place where they were in the temple before the altar. And they would filter in, and on top of the altar would be the slaughtered lamb cut up, Blood poured out, ready to go, and the, they would uh, begin singing psalms together. They would chant some psalms together, and then at a certain point, the priests would begin uh, passing incense out throughout the uh, the courtyard, and the incense would fall over the people. And at that time, they would begin their prayers. These prayers are not like what we do. When you notice that Bob, did you notice uh, when Bob talked about Al asking him about the, uh, the the sermon, about the parable? He was asking about my sermon because Al actually talked to me. He was like, I don't know about that. <laughs> and, le- and, let me, and let me just point out, while, while I have the aside, um, one of the most valuable things for, for Neil and I both, I know, is when we uh, hear commentary from people who've been here a long time. You know, the Al's, the Bill Hinckley's, folks like that, folks who are jealous for the scriptures, who guard the faith, when they come and they tell me I messed up, I listen. The rest of you, eh? They would begin making these prayers. The prayers were public prayers and they were in a group. If you've been to Haiti, uh, you know how the Haitians pray. Everyone raises their hands and they all speak to God at the same time. And the things they speak about are different. Everyone has a different issue that they, they bring to God. Some bring uh, prayers of thanksgiving. God, thank you for what you've done in my life. Others bring prayers of petition. God, we need this. Others bring par- uh, prayers of confession. God, I have failed. I have done this. Others bring prayers of, of, of glory. God, you are, wor- you are wonderful. You are, you are holy. You are high up. There's different things that we tell God. And in Haiti, we all do it together. This is very similar to the temple services. But yes, but yes, in the midst of all this prayer going up, certain people could get a little bit of attention if their prayers and their gestures and the way they held themselves were a certain way. So you could stand off and there was a stage if you wanted to get up in front of people. This was typically for people who wanted to make a Thanksgiving prayer. God has done this in my life. I want to testify before the people. You could do that. And then people would look at, look at you and hear you in the midst of their prayers. And then after the time of public praying had finished, the priest would light the lamb on fire to commit it to God to make a sacrifice. This was a blank slate sacrifice. Whatever prayers you had lifted to God, this sacrifice would be the flowers that accompanied them. You see, when we give flowers at the end of the play to the director, we include a little card that says, Well done, that was an amazing play. And then we give flowers. When we want to say I'm sorry, we write a little note on a card and we give it along with the bouquet to the one we want to apologize to. When we want to say thank you, we write a little card that says you've done so much and I appreciate it. And we have it with a bouquet. This is the Tamid service that took place every day in the temple for the people of Israel. They would come and they would say, God, thank you for this, their card. And then it would be attached to a bouquet, the sacrifice that would go up to God, a gift to God. In ancient Israel, sacrificial offerings were just like giving flowers. They could signify just about anything. Now this is a little strange for us because the New Testament tends to, but not always, focuses on Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, the once for all sacrifice of Christ at the cross by which we are justified for our salvation eternally. And that is something that happens in Israel. That's once a year. But but sacrifice could be for many things. All the regular things that go on in a relationship between two people. The the, the sacrifice was a gift. It's a signal. It's meant to make sure that the relationship between this person, his or her family, the community they live in, the nation as a whole, between God was right and good that the marriage was functioning properly, that everything that needed to be said was being said. Now, I do want to make that very, very clear, uh, that, that this, this service was not about what we think of as salvation. Okay? This was not about heaven and hell. This was about the daily ins and outs of living life with God. In the same way that we all experience the daily ins and outs of living life with a spouse, with parents, with friends, with coworkers. And these relationships are difficult to manage. And so we often need ways to indicate, to communicate to people how we really feel. This daily sacrifice accomplished that for Israel in conjunction with their prayers. In the same way that you bring coffee a little bit early to your coworkers so that they know that you think they're great. And so at the end of this service, you had one question. Okay, two questions. One, did God hear my prayer? And two, did God accept my flowers? God, thank you for making me so awesome. This is how I pray. Thank you first for this incredible body. Thank you that I am not like them. Like them. The people I have to deal with. Thank you for me being me. Because, God, because you notice... That I pray almost every day. That I'm pretty darn generous to friends and family, and occasionally if I'm feeling piquant, is that a word? To the people around me. You're welcome. Did God... Or does God hear my prayers? Interesting about this text. If you look, um, I put in brackets on verse 11. The Pharisee stood alone and prayed about himself. I put that in brackets because it's really, I'm translating one phrase in Greek, pros um, haouton. And it's ambiguous in the language. It's difficult to say whether or not um, the Pharisee is standing alone and praying or praying about himself. It's very strange for Luke, uh, in Luke's gospel, to have ambiguous Greek. Um, And I think that in this case, the reason is that Luke wants us to get a little bit of the flavor of both. I think he wants us to be thinking about the Pharisee as standing off, sort of, by himself. And he's definitely, if you just read what he says, he's definitely praying about himself. And that's that's caught in Luke's Greek. And we have good reason for thinking both. The first, because he's a Pharisee, he's not going to be in the midst with all the other people praying because he's worried. He's worried that some of them might be sinners and they might infect him with all of their sin. And so when he prays, he's got to be separated from them so they don't touch him, so they do rub off on him. He's he's being alone so that he's right with God. And yes, he's praying about himself. If you you think about this, uh, so even now, when we pray, thank you, God, we typically name a few things that God has done, right? So we might say, God, thank you uh, that I have a job because it's really hard to make it. Thank you for making it possible for me to have this job. Thank you for giving me this job, some of us. God, thank you for your healing. In my life. God, thank you for what you've done to make it possible for me to even speak. Thank you for this life. We sort of name things out. God, thank you. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of everything I possess. Thank you. We might think, uh, and some have thought this in the past, that really uh, the Pharisee's prayer is a sort of uh, less humble version of the uh, there but for the grace of God go I. And this is what well-meaning, comfortable folks like us say when we see someone whose life is a train wreck and we see them crashing and burning. We say, thank you, God, there but for the grace of you go I. I want to say that the Pharisee is not saying that. There is a difference between there but for the grace of God go I and the Pharisees' prayer. Namely, that the Pharisees' prayer has nothing to do with what God has done and everything to do with what he has done. You see, every single one of us, when we make the thank you, God, for, but for your grace, there go I, we know, we know when we look deep down all the choices we could have made, the simple missteps that might have completely made our lives a disaster. We know it. If we, just, if we just think for a second, we can see, we can see how every step of the way we were this close, this close to falling off the path. And so when we say, God, thank you, but for your grace, go I. We know that we're saying something real, something true. The Pharisee says, thank you, God, I fast so much. Thank you, God, I give so much. The Pharisee's words have thank you, but they have none of the content of thank you. Now, I I don't want to suggest the Pharisee's not a great guy, because he certainly is. I mean, fasting twice a week, big deal. Um, In the Torah, you know, you're required, Jews are required to fast only once a year. That's on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Um, You fast before the, uh, the Passover meal. So when the Jews around him hear this, they're like, whoa, you're serious, man. You're not taking this line down. You're the real deal. And when he says, I tithe a little bit of everything, Everything I possess, that's a big deal. In the Torah, in the the Old Testament, you're really only required to to tithe 10% of certain agricultural products that you have. Um, Which, good news for those of us who don't want to tithe, because if we want to be in keeping with Torah, all we really need to do is look at how much we're spending on you know, milk, meat, whatnot, do about 10% of that, and just take it to the Lord. Good deal, right? Well, this guy's like, no, that's not a good deal. That's not enough. That's not enough. It's not just agricultural products, it's not just what I eat, it's everything I get. I'm so generous. You start to wonder if this is even a prayer at all. I mean, if anything, what he's really doing, he's praying to be heard by everyone around him. He's the guy who stands up on the stage. Always watch out for the guy who's on the stage, always. Always. He stands up on the stage and he's like, hey, hey!" And the people who are in the midst of crying out to God pause and they stop looking up there and they look at him. And so you might even wonder if maybe he's not really even in a prayer service. Maybe the Pharisee Is praying to himself about being a great Pharisee, and that's it. Now, you got to think, I mean, this guy's a Pharisee, right? He, he didn't just come out of the womb like this. At some point in his life, he, he looked up to God and he was like, it really matters that I honor you and that I serve you. And so I'm going to do all these things because I know it's important. He's not religious, or at least probably wasn't just religious to to, to be this now. At some point in his past, it was different, it was fresh. He really believed that it mattered to serve God and to live according to God's ways. And yet, somewhere along the line, by the time we meet this guy, something terrible has happened to his piety. It's hollowed out, it's gutted. At what point we must ask ourselves, does our own piety become intertwined, inseparable from our need to be honored and respected? How does it happen that our service remember, this is a prayer, service, our flowers as we're giving God His due? How does it happen that that? That becomes a measure of our goodness. And then, last and worst, how does it happen that that becomes a weapon that we bludgeon all the other people with? Because remember, most of these folks that are standing next to the Pharisee, they're poor. They can't afford their own sacrifices. This is their one chance to tell God what they think. This is their opportunity to let God know how it is and to find a way to make sure that everything in their relationship with God is right on, to make sure that the marriage is working. They're coming to God with a a card and flowers and saying, thank you, I love you, I'm sorry, I want to be with you, I don't deserve you. And this guy stands up there and shows them what real religion is. Pharisee forgot his flowers. He's not thankful to God. He's thankful to himself. If this sacrifice, you know, you think of this, this prayer that he's doing as the card, and then the burning of the lamb afterwards, the, the, the flowers that go up with it. If this sacrifice is sealing a prayer, it's a prayer by the Pharisee, to the Pharisee, thanking the Pharisee for being such a great Pharisee. Oh, he brought flowers, friends. He gave them to himself. And of course, that's the opposite of what we see in the tax collector. Uh, You notice I've translated um, in in verse 13. uh, The tax collector, standing far off by himself alone, um, because he's unworthy, kneeling down, beating his chest, God, make atonement for me a sinner. Atonement at one mint. Bring us together, God. He won't even look up because he knows there's no reason for him to have been asked by this God to go to this dance. And he wants to make sure this God knows that he appreciates it. That it means everything to him. And so he says, God, make us one. Make atonement. Usually that gets translated, have mercy. But that word, have mercy, Neil and I were talking about it. It never means that. It always means forgive, make atonement, bring us together. It always means that. He says, God, we don't belong together. And yet I want us to be together. Just as an aside here, so I often make mistakes in my marriage. Um, probably you guys don't know what that's like, but in case you don't, it's sort of like this. Like, I'm doing something, right? And I, I'm not even really thinking about hurting anyone, but I realize that I've been focused on the stuff that I want to do. And at some point, I recognize that I think Aaron might be upset with me. Okay? What's wrong? Nothing. All right, I can play this game. It's okay, I do it too. She does the same thing. I'm like, nothing, I'm fine. Everything's great. Can't you tell? (laughs) And so at a certain point, I'll I'll have figured it out, right? Like, I'll go through everything that's happened. I'm like, oh, yes, okay, right. See, I have a tendency to leave all of my clothes right next to the bed. I don't hang them up, and I don't put them in the laundry basket. I just throw them on the floor. That's where they belong. They're comfortable there. And the dog uses them as a nest. Uh, it's it's kind of me. Uh, I'm, you're welcome. But this 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 doesn't work for my wife. She doesn't like it. And so every once in a while, she's had a very long day and she's very uh, tired. And you know the kids have been little angels. And and she's just had enough. And she sees those pants on the floor and just that's it. So I know I've done wrong. And I it's time for me to bring some flowers, right? Um, that doesn't have to be flowers, of course. We talked about that. Flowers is just a, it's an image we use. But maybe it's something like I do the dishes, right? You know, try to make up for it. Here's something interesting, if you've noticed, about doing the dishes or giving flowers or bringing chocolates or writing the note or whatever it is. You have no power over whether or not this works. I could do dishes for a week, and if she doesn't decide... That, that I've made, that I've done enough. It doesn't work. We're still on the outs. She's got the power. And that's the whole point of the, of of the act. The act is me saying, it's not like, okay, now I've done it. I've proven it. I've proven that you owe me your love again. No, it's, I know I've made a mistake and there's really nothing I can do personally to change that. I'm just hoping that you'll see by this action, by this gift that I'm giving you, you'll see into my heart. You'll see how I feel and you'll respond to it. But you're the one who forgives. You're the one who decides this relationship is right. You're the one who decides we're simpatico, as they say. Do you notice that the the, the tax collector says the same thing to God? He says, I don't have any power here. God, you make atonement for me. Here's my card. Here's the flowers. See my heart and respond. And in that, in that moment, in that moment, we we do just for the record. We do hear that God does because Jesus says he says, "I tell you, when this tax collector went down to his house, God had made their relationship right." God had declared him right. God had declared him just, pronounced him good. The marriage is fine, brother. What is the fundamental difference between the Pharisee and the tax collector? What accounts for this disparity in the way they approach the tamid daily service, their their prayers and their sacrifice? What is it? I tell you the difference is the tax collector knows who he's talking to. He gets it. He knows who God is. He knows that he's the geeky 17-year-old kid who cannot believe that this girl has said yes. He knows that there's no reason for him to be on this dance floor. He doesn't deserve it. And so he's doing everything in his power to make sure that this relationship remains right. The tax collector's, God's not the tax collector's buddy. God's not the tax collector's friend, pal, whatever. God is the girl he never thought he'd get. And he'll do everything to keep. Sort of like in Genesis at the beginning when uh, God decides between uh, Cain and Abel's sacrifices. Jesus says that God listened to these prayers, these cards that were sent up. One says, Thank you. The other one says, I want to be with you and I don't deserve it. And God reads one and tosses it out, slams the door in his face. And the other one he takes to the prom. We don't sacrifice anymore, friends. We, uh, it's not a part of our uh, religious practice. And I think it's a good thing. I think it's a good thing because we're still called to be a living sacrifice. We're called to live a life that's pleasing and good. We're still called to give God flowers. But what do those flowers look like? It's not a lamb being burned on the altar anymore. It's little things like volunteering at a WANA going to Haiti participating in youth group what are the other things we do here is that about it the thing is I feel like we don't have enough for you to do and so, so we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna work on that make sure there's more opportunities for you to, uh, to slave away these are your flowers brothers and sisters this is your chance to, to, to go to God and say I don't deserve you but I really want you to know how much I care You know what our flowers are today? The songs we sing? The prayers we raise? Our willingness to listen and to be attentive as Bob lifts our prayers up and to pray with him. And you might think, wow, that's really not that much of a sacrifice compared to killing a lamb. Friends, your sacrifices, your flowers are acceptable when you remember who you're talking to. When you think about who this God is, what this God has done, how this God has changed your life, how this God is going to bring you home, how this God has been and will be faithful to you, all the days of your life, when you remember that you're the ugly girl who didn't have a chance and got picked up by this guy who made you beautiful and set you above everyone else, when you remember that's who your God is, you'll remember to give him flowers. And I'm going to try and do better. God, we're going to try to do better. Because you deserve it. And we're lucky to be with you. Because you didn't have to, but you did. So the songs we sing, the prayers we pray, the trips to Camp Allendale, the time in Haiti, the money we give, the Sunday school, the Iwana, the youth group, everything we do, it's going to be flowers. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for giving us what you've given us. We thank you, God, for salvation. We thank you for new life. We thank you for deliverance in all the ways that you deliver us. We thank you for healing. We thank you for all the things you do that we don't do. We thank you that you're up there and yet you've reached down here to us. God, we want our relationship to be right, to be good. God, we want you to receive the flowers we send. Purify our hearts. Set our minds on what you are and what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.